Today's guest is Jack Houston. After graduating from his RN degree, he became a nurse in both the United States and Canada. His story has twists and turns of actual true life events that occurred as an RN. His book talks about true hospital stories and yet still contain comical stories. His patience as well as his identity has been kept confidential. Please give a warm welcome to ever-blessed Jack Houston. Welcome, Jack. Thank you for being a guest on my show. And I have just a couple questions to kind of know exactly what your story is and your journey as an RN. Um, and you also have this book that's, to me, is like completely quite a doozy. And I just wanted to know, like, what directed you to go on this path of career? You know, how long ago did this career of, as an RN start? Could you give us a little bit about that? Well, um, yeah, I can. And thank you for having me on the show, by the way. I really appreciate that. Um, my journey began in the late 80s. And uh, so that means I'm old, like very old now. So I worked over 30 years as an RN. You know, so some of these stories, actually, that I wrote in my book, some are actually when I was a student. And they kind of go back and forth. It's not all totally sequential. Um, they're all individual stories, and some of them are when I was young, some are just before I finished my career. So they're all a mix all through. Now, that's the nice thing about the book because you don't have to read start to finish, sit down and do it all at once. If you're a really busy person, you can read one or two little stories, not pick it up for two weeks, you get another day off and you can read another one. It's you know what I mean? So they're easy, digestible chapters and that a lot of people seem to like that. And they're always a different story. So you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at first. It was really hard. And, uh, you know, a lot of my family, we have a very big family, uh, you know, extended family, cousins, all that kind of stuff. But we have about 35 or 40 RNs in the family, you know, and a few doctors and lab techs and medical is very big in our family. And I didn't really know what to do. Like a lot of kids, who knows what they want to do at 17, 18 years old, you know. So I just picked that and, you know, I got encouraged by my father to go into it and I did. I, I figured, well, I'll start that now. Maybe I'll figure my way as I go along. And well, I, I continued with it, you know, and uh, 30 some years later, <laughs> stuck with it anyway. So I guess that's how it started. And and to think of the some of the places I worked as a nurse, I never would have imagined when I was in school that I would be doing it. But, you know, you think you know what your future is going to be, and it always changes, depending on what you come across, you know? Yes, yes. quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, um, when I came out of high school, my path was going into um, laboratory technology. So I was doing anatomy and physiology. I was doing chemistry, like hardcore. It was crazy. I was just, just a thought of, like, my goal was to be involved in forensic science because I wanted to be the voice of the voiceless in that aspect mm -hmm. to tell the story of the people who weren't able to be there to tell their own thought process of getting involved in the, on that side of the field. Unfortunately, I was a teen mother, so that completely changed my whole scope on careers and needed to get something quicker and faster. So I just kind of threw myself into administrative work and HR and finally got my 
dual bachelor's in business administration and accounting. So I was doing that for about 20 years. You don't have a particular story that besides your, your father encouraging, strongly encouraging you to get involved in the medical field, was there something else that kind of like solidified the idea that you, this was probably the path that you'd like to do? So there wasn't any one story that led me to, you know, hey, I got to be a nurse or this is the moment or this is the thing, you know, I just kind of stuck with it, you know, didn't know what else to do. Didn't really want to be a nurse at first, you know, but I didn't know what else I could do. But I was very good at, you know, the sciences and things like that. So good fit academically. As you get into it more and more, you realize you can help people. And, you know, I thought I would be a teacher at first, like teaching, going to public schools and teach kids, stuff like that. You know what I mean? And I never did. (laughs) Because (laughs) because as you go through it, you learn that it's just totally different than what you think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anyway. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, thank you for sharing that. Okay, you're welcome. So... Speaking of careers, um, what would you tell someone who was interested in the medical field uh, to have them prepared for the unexpected or the expectancies of that field? Now, knowing what you've encountered as with 32 years in the as an RN. Yeah, you know, that's a tough one. Depends on the day and what kind of day I had, what I would tell somebody. Um, What I would tell somebody now versus just coming off a shift at work are probably completely different because it's so frustrating at work and it's so hard. I said, for one thing, I pity any kid going into the field because it is such a hard, hard job. Often it's, it appears very thankless to us. We get abused a lot, not just by patients, but by staff, by uh, fellow staff, by management. Nurses are often kind of like a tool. Well, that one's broke, get another one. You know, somebody gets hurt, just get another one. Call another one. There's lots of nurses, you know. And what I, what I mean by getting hurt is, especially if you work in psych nursing, we get beat up all the time. And we get hurt. And we get expected to work with that same patient the next day. You know, I have a friend that was stabbed through the hand with a knife. He stabbed through the hand because he put his hand in front of his face, you know. And he had to go work with that patient the next day. Now, what other job would you get attacked, beat up, broken legs, limbs, eyes put out, whatever, and have to go back and work with the same patients for months or years? And that's what a nurse has to do, you know, sadly. And in the medical side of things, what you see is very, very tough. You know, a little two, three-year-old kid running around one day, you're laughing at them, they're running around their Superman outfit and, you know, they're sick. The next day you come in and you have to go and perform CPR on that kid. And, you know, the things you see are horrific. They're very, very hard to deal with. So to think that nursing is going to be an easy trek is not the way to think about it. Now, all those things I say would turn people off and we'd never have any nurses and that's not good. So I just tell people these stories like these are the things you're going to have to deal with. It's better, you know, going into it. Are you that type of person? Can you deal with that? You know, because they say nurses are used to that and they're used to dealing with things. They can see tragedy. They they know how they take special classes. No, we don't take special classes in how to deal with the three-year-old dying and think there's no class you can take that makes you immune to all the emotions that come with that and all the heartache, you know? So 
if you're not the type of person that can handle that, one, you're not going to be a very effective nurse. And two, you're going to be miserable. And if you're miserable at work, you're miserable throughout your whole life, basically. So there's a lot to be considered when telling someone to go into nursing or not, you know, and it sounds very negative, but it's real, you know. Yeah. And I mean, and that's one of the things that that has been occurring is that there is short staffed and overworked and underpaid nurses and doctors and other medical staff. Would you agree or disagree that the mistreatment has increased since the pandemic because of the overwork, the underpaid, the, the understaffed. And then I guess the next question would be, have you ever been involved in as a traveling RN, paid traveling nurses and RNs and other caregivers? And that was like a big thing because if they were underpaid and overworked, some people would actually quit and come back in and have a higher rate of pay because they're no longer in that range of, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I know what you mean. Or they were traveling RN because they got more money and they weren't able to well, deal with the crap all the time. <laughs> yeah, they can move around when they want, quit and move on. They have little short contracts. Some of them are as low as three weeks and others are three months kind of thing. It always changes to fit the times. But right now, like a traveling nurse, and you have to be, I think, most of the rules are you have to be 50 miles away from your last job to be considered traveling nurse. And so that's not hard. So right now in Houston, I think people are getting around $8,000 a week to work as a nurse. And uh, other spots in the north, they're getting five, 6000 a week to work like a COVID ward or in a prison, you can get 3000 a week. You know, that those kind of numbers are always different. But you're working alongside somebody that's getting about a third of what you're getting you know, or a quarter of what you're getting. And that has caused a lot of animosity in the last couple of years, especially because a lot of people are traveling because the, the wages are just so high. They just can't get nurses. You think about that, $8,000 US a week. And I think most places give two to 3,000, 2,400, I think the last one I read, cash in an envelope. It's not even tracked. They just give you cash each week. They're so desperate for nurses, you know. And the people working alongside of them, you know, making 1500 a week. So, you know, it does cause a lot of animosity for sure. Yeah. And uh, me working in the payroll <laughs> department, I got to see that come yeah. across like one person who has, and I mean, I worked from HR, so I would look at their resumes. I've done their interviews. I've spoken to over the phone. I've done their orientations. I've done their, their, payroll documents um, and I've you know cut their checks and to see the transition between demographically as well as educational background as well as their ethnicity background there's a lot just a lot of chaos in that area yeah. where there's they're not being treated on the same equal basis of pay because of their ethnicity I've seen microaggressive uh, microaggression from coworker to coworker to the medical staff to patients because of that. And I think you've even hit on it that some of the mistreatments do kind of narrow on people of color community or was that considered equal in your eyes or what you've experienced? Well, I mean, lately, I, I mean, the last job I did was a regular staff member for quite a few years. So I haven't done the travel nursing in quite a while, but I know people who have. And 
Um, where I was when I was doing it, uh, I didn't see nurses around me, you know, treating people badly due to race or color. You know, they might say things in the hallway or whatever, but they didn't treat the patient, like not give them treatment, you know, where I was. Um, the reverse I've seen, I've seen where patients are actually abusive to staff, you know, I could talk about that story if you want. I don't know if you want to get into that now or not, but I've seen that. Mm -hmm. You know, patients are abusive to staff because of their color. And that's, I mean, the abuse is wrong no matter which side you're on, right? You know. Right, exactly. So, but we had one patient. Uh, I was born, I was just young, out of school. I was only, I think, 21, maybe 22. And um, I, I was standing in the hallway getting my meds ready. And I was getting meds ready for this particular patient who was getting a bowel series the next day, had all kinds of bowel problems. And I heard a commotion. I heard a whole bunch of dirty language, F this, F that. Um, there was a young nurse tech, probably 19 years old, and she was black. And she was running out of the room as I heard him say, stay to F out of my room and he used the N word. And he threw a box of Kleenex at her. And I said, well, what's going on there? You know, what's, what's going on? She goes, oh, it's, it's okay. It's okay. He doesn't want me in my room on account of me being colored or in his room. I said, what do you mean he doesn't want you in your room? You know, I was, this is new to me, you know, all this blatant racism. He doesn't want me in his room because I'm black. I said, well, what were you doing in there? She says, well, I was trying to help him potty, you know, because he has all kinds of bowel problems. I said, really? So I went and she was quite shaken, you know. I said, I will talk to him. So I went in and I said, hello, reverend. He was a reverend. Okay. And treating his fellow man, this young girl, horribly. But he was a reverend, you know. So I didn't put a lot of stock into that. Anyways, I said, listen, why are you throwing stuff at that young girl and calling her dirty names? He says, well, I had to, I don't want her in there. I don't want those dirty things in here. And I said, dirty things. The girl that's coming in and helping wipe your bum because you can't do it yourself and you're treating her like that. Well, I just don't like them. I don't want them in here. You can take care of me, Jack. I said, uh, well, that's actually her job. I said, I'm the head nurse. I said, I have to be at the front. I was trying to be, you know, I was trying to not just, if I was on the street, it would have got handled quite a bit differently. But anyways, I, I was trying to be professional. And I said, well, honestly, I said, it's not my job and I don't have time for that. I'm the head nurse. I have a lot of other things I have to do, you know, and people require me to do it. She's not able to do that. She's not educated to do that. Nobody else on the floor here is. I have to do that. So I won't have time to treat you, to do things. I said, you might wait a long time. He said, I don't care. I don't care how long, long I have to wait. That's fine. So I gave him his medicine, which was a big bottle of mag citrate. <laughs> Anybody nurse is just laughing already, probably. So the mag citrate is what we give in emergencies, basically when nothing else works to allow your bowels to work, it pushes it through. It's like a little, it's like Drano for your bowels, you know? So I gave that to him. Usually 15, 20 minutes later, you're on the pot. I said, I won't be able to get back for a long time. He says, just don't send any of those dirty little N-word people in here. I said, okay, I won't. So it was about two and a half hours later, his call bell had been going off for about an hour and a half. And this nurse tech who had been abused by him, she tried to run back in. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. She said, no, I'll go get him. I said, no, you won't. 
She goes, why? Why don't you want me to help him? I said, because you're a dirty end, you know, repeating what he said. And she just looked at me shocked. And then and then she got a little smile on her face because I don't think she's used to people sticking up for her. You know, I said, you go about your business and do your other patients. I said, I'm following his request. When I'm done my work, I will help him. So I went in and I helped him after about two and a half hours. And he was sobbing in the bed and there was stool running between his legs down over the end of the bed and dripping on the floor at the foot of the bed. And he can't get up to walk himself, you know, and he's crying, Jack, Jack, why did you leave me here? I said, well, I told you I was busy. He said, was there nobody else to come? I said, just those dirty little end girls, you know, and uh, he got the point, you know. So anyway, oh I did help him. I cleaned him up and all that. He said, well, just send them in next time. I said, I'll send them in. You better be appropriate with them. Oh, I will. I will. And, you know, he was he was taught a lesson. But anyways, and I and I honestly did go in to help him when I was free. But I knew I was going to be quite busy. I mean, you work in med surge. It's always busy. So I thought afterwards, I thought, oh, shit, I'm going to be fired over this one because I mean, it's a paying hot. You pay to play. Right. If you're a patient, you pay. And if they pay well, you do. You kiss their ass. That's the way management does. So they get the money. Right. right? I figured I'll be fired. But. I guess he didn't complain and over the next week he had he had left he came in and he had a note for me and it said something to the effect of uh, thanks for the lesson in humanity jack i will pray for you and he must have done some thinking on it and he apologized to every black person on the ward over the next week for the way he treated them wow but you know this this is a young girl her first job probably trying to work and being treated like that for no good reason you know that was just a minor thing there's lots of other stories about color and abuse uh, that i could get into like we had this one we had nine nine guys come in the air all shot up one night and i was working with this one guy he was shot four times directly in the chest and i mean usually you're going to die with that but it, we saved him I, I put three big bags of fluid in him right away and i was working feverishly thinking, geez, I didn't, I didn't cover this in school. <laughs> like, what do I do here? You know, anyway, I got him to come to, and he was talking to me and he was probably 300 pounds. He's a very big young man, probably 18, 19 black. And then the um, Texas Rangers were, were there. And, you know, it was a crime scene. Obviously they have to do their job. And he kept getting in my way, asking him who shot first, who did this? What's the name of the guy whose car was, you know, all these questions that police have to ask. I understand that. But he was very close to dying, and I was trying to work on him. I said, look, you got to get out of the way. you got to get out of the way. And he wouldn't listen to me, so I pushed him, the police officer. I pushed him at one point with my forearm and just trying to maintain a sterile field and the dressing I was doing. And he looked at me very, oh, like he could kill me, you know, and because you don't push a police officer in Texas. You just don't without ramifications, you know. And he must have realized he was overstepping his bounds, too, because I had a job to do. So he didn't do anything to me. But then he said, in front of everybody in the ER, like like he was talking about the weather, you know, I don't know why you're working so hard to try to save this N-word guy. He's just going to go out and shoot somebody in six months anyway. So and I'm staring at him at this point. I'm thinking, how can you talk like that in an emergency room? in front of so many witnesses to see your despicable behavior and thinking what goes on in the cruiser when nobody's around if you're going to talk that way in front of me who could report him to his boss and this and that you know 
I, it was just unreal. Which so okay, so this particular guy was a criminal. This patient, he was a criminal. You know, obviously he'd shot some people and and he had a long rap sheet. But if you're getting treated like that by the police in a public area, that's certainly not encouragement to better yourself and do better the next time. No, that you harbor all that resentment and you get mad and want to go out and shoot somebody else. I mean, human nature is if you're being treated horribly, you're going to act worse back. You know, he already had problems anyways and probably had encountered them all along, you know, to get him to this point. I don't know. I mean, I don't know the whole sociology of this one particular patient, but just pathetic things like that could go on. I, I just couldn't believe it. And nobody else bad an eye. You know, it was just, it was just unreal. I had two or three other stories that I was putting together and the editor wanted me to take them out actually because all the Black Lives Matter stuff was going on and said it could make you look bad. I said, but, but I didn't, I'm sticking up for them. Sticking up for people that are being abused. I said, yeah, but just the nature of this story right now and what all is going on, they didn't really want to put it in because she said it could get misconstrued and make you look bad with stories. I said, well, I don't see how it can make me look bad. But anyway, I, I conceded and I let them take those two stories out, but it was about stuff going on in the hospitals and, might have been some of my colorful language I had in there too that they didn't like. I don't know, but but I, you know, I, I've got them. I'm putting them in the next book anyway. I don't care. I'm putting them in. So I tend to just say the real word, but they wouldn't put that in the book. They said, "Well, I think you should put N word and not the full word and all the connotations and all the nastiness that comes with it." And I said, "Yes, but I'm telling a story, and it it was vulgar. It was mean." And I think it should be used, not, you know, not to run around saying that word, but I mean, in this case, it should be used because this is what the person was saying. And I think it should be used to show, but they didn't really want to put it. And I thought, well, I'll go along with it, but you know, I, I don't know. I just, it, it was unreal. The amount of uh, stuff you see racially in the hospitals too. Now I'd like to think that's gotten better over the last few years. I mean, that story was early in my career and as I say I'm old now so I don't know how much is still going on in that type of environment yeah I beg to differ um because I live in Texas too so I live in uh, Greenville Texas um, oh yes so yeah um and it is not it's it's either at the same amount or worse and doesn't even matter if they have a body camera on or not uh you noticed it a lot going on that are in a pursuit of a criminal and they retaliate against the actual officer who's trying to pull off the other person who officer who's trying to attack the criminal because they're in the range yeah. of catching up with this person that they turn their anger towards their partner. Yes. And yes. I've seen that. Yeah. And it's like, I've seen that with nurses too. Yeah. And it's no. insane. Like, Law enforcement itself is a high-stress uh, environment. Being oh, yeah. in a hospital is a high-stress. I, I, I can't even fathom how many, what the percentage of is in suicidal and drug usage for just to, to numb the pain in regards to that high-risk, high-stressed environment. And yeah, it's it's just like unbelievable what. And on top of that, if you are a person who's getting minimum wage, 
and you probably get more money flipping a burger. Like, what do you prefer? That's, that scares a lot of people off into getting involved into medical and law enforcement because right. flipping a burger, you just need a bachelor's degree. And you get, what, $15 an hour for flipping a burger yeah. versus a, a police officer who is begging to not die that day and go home to his family for $10 an hour. You know, like, that's yeah. insane. Oh, it's um, a horrible job. Like, policing and nursing, all those type things, it's very hard. And the PTSD levels are high, high, high. You know, so it's a horrible job. And unfortunately, sometimes some officers and some nurses react because they're afraid because they've been beaten or shot at so many times that they go overboard. So they get into all this defund the police business, which I think is horrible, horrible, horrible. If anything, they need more money to properly sift out those type of people, offer them treatment, you know, educate them more so that when they get in these scenarios, they don't lose their mind or their train of thought and do stupid things. You know, even if they were biased and didn't like a person, because every, mostly everybody, me included, when there's certain people, I'm not talking color, I'm talking just people in general, whether it's, you know, their behavior, because you know they are abusing their wife or whatever, like, there's bias we have on people, but we have to be professional when we're working with somebody, you know what I mean? And if we're not, if we're a loose cannon, we need to be called out by our coworkers, sent for some courses. Maybe they'll discover, oh, he's got drug abuse, he's an alcoholic, whatever. Treatment needs to happen. And one of the biggest things that needs to happen with the police, and I think mainly the police, but other occupations as well, for this more funding business I'm talking about, I think each police officer should have to go and work in a psych ward, like a student nurse does for about a month, and really get an idea of what goes on. Because... There's many patients that'll be yelling, screaming, threatening. You know, a 300-pound guy going to put his fist through the wall and kill a bunch of people. When you could have eight or ten big guys like me go in and wrestle and take them down. Or we can have one tiny little 85-pound woman go in and talk him down and walk him to his room and, and put him on doing some mindfulness or some meditation stuff. I've seen it. I've seen it many times. You just have to know what to say to a person sometimes. Sometimes that goes badly, too. It doesn't always work. But in many cases, many cases, if you just know what the person's diagnosis is or you can see what they're going through, whether they're schizophrenic or whatever, all of these brutal killings and beatings could be avoided. Not all. A lot of them. A lot of them, you know. And I think that's what we need to do. And we need to do more of that with nurses as well. I'm pretty well... Uh, educated in that because I've worked psych nursing for a lot of years and I'm also a psychotherapist too and you know but there's a lot of nurses new nurses working in the emergency room or med surge that really don't have a clue how to handle psych patients you know more education is what we need yeah yeah and I think that you're right on the money when it comes to that I think the thing that's getting construed is when you say defund um, there's a misunderstanding on how it is done. And I get it. There needs to be funding, but it needs to be sifted into a different department instead of um, purchasing more AK-47s or whatever the case may be when exactly. it should be actually be taught how to, what do you call the negotiator 101 kind of a thing. And, and I know there's people out there that their job is nothing but to be a negotiator in high right. risk, high terrorist situations where you're trying to get someone off the off a tall building or 
to let the the person let go of hostages in a situation like that. But I think police officers would have a beneficial understanding on having that as a as a class, at least some type of learning class involved in their training, as well as I think I love the idea where you said go into a psych ward. I would take it a step further and say sleep one week with the homeless, have almost like a like an exchange student scenario with going from urban to suburban or vice versa. And actually live with a family in the high rate area, you know, like not, you know, a safe space for that person, but at least to know the goings on that it's not everybody is supposed to be looked upon as because of their skin color or their or their background that they're all bad. And I think to have that understanding that not all law officers are bad. I mean, if there was a way to have that put into their training in in diversity 101 or cultural diversity 101 as their classes, there'll be less of of these violence conflicts. I have a clean record, but I could, you know, one of the jokes that we have is, you know, driving while black, you know, DWB. And isn't that sad that that's referred to as a joke? It is. It's a sad cultural joke. I mean, we're we're a little like grimacing in the process of joking because we're trying to say that it's almost considered considered a norm or we're we're accepting that no matter what we do, we still have to have our P's and Q's. And unfortunately, that doesn't even work out either. You know, we have children who are being gunned down because they're walking down the street, grabbing something from the store. Yeah. So that's and they're still get done on like they're a piece of trash. And so it's like nobody's safe no matter what. So, yeah. Why do we have to shift our demeanor based on the person's ethnicity? Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all those those stories with me. There is actually a clinical study that women of color are given less medication for pain because I believe that they have a higher threshold of, of dealing with pain or, or they're, or they're drug, overreacting on the pain. They're drug seeking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, I've seen similar things and it was say women who were pregnant going in or, but at a young black male complaining of pain, there's lots of studies, not just one. There's been lots of them that um, they'll give them regular Tylenol, whereas they'd give the white guy a narcotic, you know, um, Demerol or morphine or whatever, Dilaudid, there's all kinds of them because they see the guys in pain. Well, they see the other guys in pain too, but is he faking it a bit and is he drug seeking? This is what they figure contributes to that, you know, and that guy's not getting any help because Tylenol, he could go to the pharmacy and get that. Why is he going into the doctor and not, you know, it's, it's a slap in the face, you know? Yeah, Yeah, I've seen studies like that and it is unfortunate. It is Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. But I've seen a lot of drug abuse over the years, though, like with every color of patient, you know, oh, like, for sure. so you can understand why people worry about giving too many narcotics. Like we've had, I've had so many issues with narcotics over the years, not myself, but I mean, patients and staff and, you know, we've had a number of staff stealing narcotics, you know, one of the stories I write about in Nurse Jack is uh, about the staff that get into issues. One of the girls went in and, uh, you know, if your patient's in a coma or out of it and can't respond, don't know what's going on, you know, this one girl would go in and inject herself in her in her hip with 
the Demerol for the patient and then give the patient a thing of normal saline. So they'd never know the difference, right? And she came out one day and one of the nurse techs said, Marjorie, you're, you're bleeding, you're bleeding. And you could see it coming through her scrub, scrubs. She started to bleed a bit. And she broke down. I think she had had enough. She was ready, but she had been using patient's drugs for years. But the stress of the job is so horrible. You know, so you can, you can't maybe blame everything on that, but certainly is a big, big factor, you know. And we've had other, other nurses. One, she came in and People may not be aware of this, but nurses write doctor's orders all the time. Like I might write um, Demerol, you know, so many milligrams every three hours for pain as per Dr. Willis or whatever, you know, and then write a slash Jack Houston, you know. So basically the nurse has to have a lot of knowledge to be there, be the eyes for the doctor to know what's going on, because if we get the wrong drugs, the patient can die. Like we we're supposed to be pretty smart. We can... We do a lot of stuff that people don't realize. Anyways, this one nurse wrote these orders from this doctor, this elderly man with a hip uh, replacement, and he was there doing therapy and stuff. For three nights in a row when she was on, he got Demerol every three hours. And then the two nights she wasn't there next, no Demerol. And then she came in for another two nights and Demerol every three hours. And he didn't get any Demerol only once in that whole time in the daytime while he was actively doing therapy. So, I mean... That looks pretty suspect. What the nurse, the way she got caught was the head nurse was reading over the, the orders and the, what had been going on. And this nurse wrote the order as though this doctor had been talking to her and given the order, but she didn't realize that doctor was off tending to his mother in another country because she was sick and he was out to another doctor. So she couldn't have got the order from him. But, you know, in the four years I was at the first hospital I was at in Texas and Houston area there, there was five occasions when the police came to the floor while I was working and grabbed a nurse, threw him down, kicking and squealing, cuffed him and took him away for stealing drugs. Like that is a tremendous, tremendous amount for me, one of the nurses to witness. And of course it'd be going on when I wasn't at the hospital too. People all the time doing it. You know, we had another doctor and uh, I think it's the title Dr. Desperado. Um, he was a wonderful man, you know, he was a really good man. And a lot of Mexican people would come up and they wouldn't have any money, you know, come up over the border and, and he would treat them whether they had money or not. And he treated them all the time. And usually a doctor doesn't do anything without getting paid every stroke of the pen. They're getting paid for this, paid for that. Paid. He would help them all the time and never worry about the money. Great guy. But one day left. And then a few minutes later, he come crashing back in, literally crashing in through the doors of the emergency room, smashed through them with his big Harley. And it was laid out on the floor, spinning out against the, uh, the nurse's station. And he ran in, he was trying to flush a bag of drugs down the toilet as the police threw his face into the ground. And so here's this guy in his forties, white male doctor in his forties, really should have the world by the ass, you know, and he get into trouble with drugs, you know, whether it was his addiction. I don't think he was selling them. I think he was just probably got addicted to his stress or whatever, but he went to rehab. He's back working now. And, you know, and I'm glad he is because he's a very good man. And, you know, so that just shows that anybody, how good a person you are or what your social status is, you can get messed up with drugs, you know? So we should have a little compassion for these people that are into the drugs, not always oh, a druggie, you know, like, I mean, no, that's a bad attitude, you know, talking like that. So, 
my gosh, you don't understand it until it actually hits home. No. That these are just human beings that are they're going through a rough, rough patch or they got involved in the wrong crowd. Everybody does that, some more than others. And they should be treated as such, like they're human beings. We all go through some type of tumultuous experience we want to explore, we want to experiment. And yeah, and just remember that there was this um, nurse who was just charged with, I guess, what was it, second degree or first degree, a nurse for providing the incorrect medication to a patient that actually killed the patient. Have you okay. heard about that case? Oh my gosh. That on, was it on purpose they felt she gave too much or? Um, no, it was a wrong Just medication altogether. It was oh, okay. wrong um, and it killed the, the patient. And I don't know the whole story behind it, but the, the title of, or little bits and pieces of the article were even saying like, who is going to be even wanting to go and be an, in the medical field if everybody, if they do a, a human error mistake that they did not intend on unaliving a patient and in, it did turn it to a tragic situation, nobody wants to get involved in this type of field because everybody's going to be accountable for their own. Right. I mean, they are accountable for their actions. That's the reason why you check, triple check. You know, I'm an accountant. I check my accounts my financial statements maybe five times because that's just a neurotic thing that you get from being in a type of field of working with somebody's money. Same thing it goes from taking care of somebody's life and every minute counts, whether it could be life or death for the patient on your watch. That's that's you, that's your name on it. So it's insane. Um, how yeah. are your, what are your thoughts about that? Well, what matters. Might... Well, first off, every nurse, makes medication errors and every nurse who's a good nurse conscientious nurse who cares about their patients makes med errors any nurse that says they don't make med errors is lying well lying to you and lying to themselves now that doesn't mean geez we make med errors every day and you're probably going to die if you come into this hospital you know what i mean but errors happen you know and uh, we had this one nurse this one girl made a comment about a nurse that made a med error and it wasn't very nice and somebody corrected her and said look it could happen to anyone and she says i don't make med errors i've been a nurse for 30 years and i don't make med errors if you pay attention whatever anyway she was on a new floor worker that night and we had meds at the time chlorohydrate helps you sleep at night it was in a liquid form a lot of the stuff in a psych hospital is liquid form and we also have chlorpromazine it's an antipsychotic it's easy to mix them up when you're first starting, but she mixed it up and she gave about 17 or 18 patients the chlorpromazine instead of the chlorohydrate. So the dose is very, very high. The whole floor the next day, they were just laying there in a puddle of their own sweat or urine. They couldn't even hurt to get up. They were just almost comatose. They slept all day long. None of them were harmed. They just were, they just were knocked out big time. And there's a nurse that never makes any med errors, you know, so Took her a while to live that one down, but it happens, you know, it, it can happen. I've made med errors and you feel horrible afterwards, but nothing is like it is in the lab at school when you're being taught. You've got bells going off. You've got, you know, I've been in the charge nurse in charge of a 55 bed unit, medical surgical unit, and I had to take 22 patients myself 
So who the hell's getting good care that night? There's some patients you don't see for 12 hours. Nobody looks in on them. Nobody. Because the less nurses you have, the less they have to pay for salaries. You know? And it's pathetic because really six or eight patients, if you had that on a shift, you know, that would be great. People be getting good care. Even one patient can tie you up for the entire shift. And I write about that. Like one patient can tie you up. So the other 21 you have, nobody's looking in on them. Oh, and you're the boss of all these other nurses that are coming to you with problems. And you're like, well, I, I can't help you, you know, and that's what it is, not just in Texas. But I think that's happening more and more all around the world. Staffing is getting less and less. Uh, it's all about money. And most of the med errors and all those kind of things that do happen, if we weren't concerned with money, most of them wouldn't be happening because we wouldn't be under such duress, such stress, you know, overworked, all those kind of things. Most of the med errors happen because we're in a hurry and we're flustered because of that. And if you're human, you're going to make mistakes. Oh, yeah. We've hinted on this this book of yours throughout yes. our conversation, and I wanted to let the listeners know what the name of the book is and where are they able to get it. Okay, well, the name of the book is Nurse Jack. Just very simple, Nurse Jack, and to remember where you can get it, if you look at my website, I list all the places it's for sale, Nurse Jack 911 pretty easy to remember, .com, NurseJack911.com. And if you scroll down and it shows 10 different platforms, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, but like all the different ones. It's on all the big ones. Like I have people buying it in Australia and UK and, you know, through Amazon, usually over there. And uh, it's also, there's every bookstore you go into, you can order it through them if you want. Some of them are, have it on the shelves, some don't, you know, it's in the ebook as well, you know, working on getting an audio book made, that would be neat. Um, just one more thing to do, you know, but yeah, so it can be bought pretty well anywhere. And, uh, yeah, it's this, I think there's 36 stories in that and they're all true stories. Most of them are criminal. Like, you know, the one about, uh, you know, I don't name the patients. I want to let people know. I, they all have a name in the book, but I've changed their name to protect them, you know, especially the woman that was being raped and, you know, and the hospital covered it up and all that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, for her family and her kids, I had to keep the name different, you know, yeah. but that was a horrible story. And I actually put a stop to it and the, and the manager slapped me and pretty near put me down. I've seen stars, you know, but uh, they were a good paying customer, you know, so it's okay to rape somebody if they're paying a lot for the suite, you know, oh, no. No, you know, I, that was, no, I, that's obviously sarcasm. Yes. Yeah, I know. But, but I couldn't believe all the women, all the women on the floor were turning a blind eye to it because, well, there were RPNs making eight dollars an hour, had kids, single mothers. They didn't want to lose their job, you know, and they were fearful and they were desperate for a job. And I guess that I'm just guessing that's why they let it go. And the, the hospital even they took my notes and got rid of them. They got rid of my notes and hid them, and you know. So I said, wow. uh, I finally said, okay, that's it. I'm going to the Texas Rangers, Marvin Zendler, whatever. I'm going to get it out here. This story and. You know, and oh, well, then things changed in a hurry. But anyway, I won't say any more and ruin the story for people, but it's just uh, the things you see are unreal. And some people worry that it could be damaging. Like, could that make people, we, we touched on this earlier, could that make people afraid to go to the hospital? Well, I didn't do it for that. But what I want to tell people is I wrote this book so you know all the horrible things that can happen. 
and do happen. But if I were a police officer, I'm sure I could write a bunch of horrible things. If I was a teacher, I could write a bunch of horrible things that happen in the classroom, you know. So, but I wanted to inform people, this is the way it is. So if you have a sick family member, learn everything you can about their illness. And when, you know, something doesn't seem right, like that patient shouldn't get that med and the nurse is pushing it through their vein, speak up. Say, hey, how come that's happening? Or how come the doctor didn't do this? Or People have this fear of the doctor, fear of the doctor or the nurse, because we are elevated to such a level to some people. You know, we're like, you know, we're, we're the important people. You know, we're put on this status level by some. Not, not, I'm not saying we should be. But you should have respect for people, but we're not gods, you know. So if you tell us something and, and we hear what you're saying, we might thank you profusely because we were just about to give the patient a med that would kill them. You know what I mean? So speak up. And when things aren't right, like don't just leave your kid at the hospital. A lot of people leave their young kids overnight at the hospital. I'd be staying with that kid if I could at all. You know, you want to make sure things are done right. Know about their condition. And then you won't have someone like me having to code your little three-year-old because they had a heart attack because the nurse was given the wrong medicine. I've had to do that. And, uh, so it's it's just be aware, ask questions, and don't worry about snarky remarks that you may get from some practitioners. It's your family member or it's you, and you deserve to be answered. And that's what I want people to realize, you know. But yeah, the book's doing well. I'm getting about four and a half stars globally, and it's going over well. I'd feared I'd get one or two. I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know how it was going to go, but. But uh, I just, I didn't write it to get rich and sell a bunch of books. I wrote it was more of a therapeutic thing, you know, mm -hmm. for me, because some of the stories were even hard to write. They, I had to go back to them several times because even 20, 30 years later, they make you tear up and get all upset because they're, they're horrible. And a, and a word of caution, nobody can read this book. So I've been told without crying a couple of times, but they have to keep reading it, they say. So, so it's a... Yeah. Uh, but I did put some funny stories in too, so it's not all gloom and doom. So. Just break up the break up the monotony or the right. stories. Absolutely. Right. Wow. Well, it's an honor to actually speak with you, Jack. Thank you so much for this. Um, Thank you. Pretty you. much I'm... answered all my questions because I was like, I was going to ask you about. If you're into true crime podcasts, here is a clip from Hands Off My Podcast. When I was a prime investigator five years ago, um, we picked up a case that was Shanice Harris' case. And after certain months working on the case, it turned out to be that I knew the family personally. I knew the mother. And um, me and her went to school together. And after a while of working on the case with no leads, no nothing, you know, I myself took it personal. So um, I spoke to my other half and I was like, you know, we're missing something you know there's something missing out here and um then it it, it became hope alive 8405 because we started noticing there's a lot of missing people that's not even being talked about this podcast can be heard on any of the podcast platforms every thursday